You're listening to McBee Care Threads, a podcast where leaders across the healthcare industry can learn from each other. We'll discuss stories and explore strategies to help providers deliver value-based care and hear your peers share their best practices for success. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome everyone to the McBee Care Threads podcast. My name is Maria Warren, and I'm a vice president here at McBee. Our guest today is Dr. Keshana Gidry, who is the CEO of Morning Dove Medical. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of hospice physician education and accountability. Let's get started. Dr. G, it's a pleasure to have you join me on today's podcast. Why don't you start off by introducing yourself and sharing about your background? Thank you for having me here. It's so exciting to uh, be engaged. I, I met so many friends online, um, and you're one of them. So it's so nice to uh, be connected to be able to help the community advance. Um, so my name is Keishana Gidry. As you mentioned, I go by Dr. G for those who want a shortcut. Uh, but but I live in California. I work for Vitas Healthcare 9 to 5. But I have my own business, Morning Dove Medical, which is a mobile practice. And I do healthcare consulting and publishing and things of that nature. So that's what I do. Thank you for sharing your background and your experiences and, you know, and and fully working all day, every day for the good of the hospice industry, nine to five and on the side and everything in between, um, which truly shows your your passion and, and dedication to the industry and um, bringing hospice as well as physician education to the forefront. Uh, what was your calling in starting Morning Dove Medical and, and realizing that there, there was a need for it and what services you bring as part of it? Yeah, I think that's a part of the, uh, I guess, the bigger story about me. I, I don't really think about it, but some people guess feel like it's a big deal. So I actually was what they call a non-traditional medical student. I went to medical school when my three kids were in middle school. And so I was already heavily involved in community service at their elementary schools, you know, Pop Warner, a lot of things, church, involved in the community, involved in enriching people. Um, and so when I decided to turn my American dream upside down and go to medical school. <laughs> um, you know, I found my niche in end of life care because of how it addresses the whole person, their whole family, their whole life is come to the surface at the end and we take care of the whole family. And so that's kind of tied to how I got into this role. I'm from Los Angeles and like I said, community service has always been a part of my life, even in, in every stage of my education. I remember in college, I was a tutor back in Los Angeles where I grew up. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, as an adult, I would always help at church and the community. It's just very important to me. And I believe working as a physician is, is service. It's not glamorous. It's service to humanity. And so I just happen to do it at the end of life where people typically avoid that time. So Morning Dove came about just to address the continuum of care for patients who were being discharged from hospice for extended prognosis. So I was working at a smaller hospice agency at the time, and uh, we had a help, we had a home health 
part of the company. We also had a community palliative care program that I was the director of. And then I would do the face-to-face visits for the hospice patients. And so for those patients who discharged for extended prognosis, they needed a doctor. Imagine a bedbound patient, you know, homebound. You don't just send them back into going to the doctor's office. How do you actually do that? That's not possible. Home care is the only way to address these patients' needs. And so that's why I created Morning Dove. That, that's great. And so inspiring that, you, you know, you bring it on full circle of it's not just at the end of life. It's everyone involved in your life. It's that full whole family care as part of it. And really being able to go out there and uh, provide care and be not only for the patient and, and for their families and helping them through that um, dying process and the grieving pieces of it, that you want to make it simple for them. And that's just what you do is making it simple by going to them and helping them in what they need so that it's not strenuous and laborious to get them out of the house and into the office that you're providing that comfort and inserting yourself where the patient and their families need it the most. And that that's amazing on, on what you do there at Morning Dove Medical. Thank you. Thank you. So that's where it is. That's where it started. And then um, obviously, since I have that opportunity, then I can do other things with that, you know, um, like writing the book. And so it just kind of branches into wherever I can uh, serve a need, I, I try to fulfill it. That's just my personality. Yeah. I mean, and for our listeners, as she just, she recently published a book called Dr. G's Hospice Pocket Guide and the seven things that physicians need to know. So what, what's the synopsis of the book for the listeners? Um, and, and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So it's introductory information. It's a workflow f- framework for hospice physicians in medicine. We have a, a pocket guide or a handbook for every subject, you know, and, and every physician knows that, you know, when you're learning about the antibiotics, we have the little book, you know, you have there when you're on pediatrics, you have this little book, but there was nothing for hospice. So I was helping HPM fellows, hospice and palliative medicine fellows, um, you know, do their rotation and their fellowship. So just like and I'll go ahead and explain because everyone, people don't really know about doctor's training. So when a physician graduates from medical school, you are a doctor. However, you go to residency to learn your specialty. So whether it's family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, psychiatry, you know, all those things, surgery, sorry, never forget surgeons. Um, but you, that's like your, your main specialty. However, you can do a fellowship. So a surgeon can do a vascular surgery fellowship. Internist can do a nephrology fellowship or a cardiology fellowship or a hospice and palliative medicine fellowship. So those hospice and palliative medicine fellows, um, they have part of their one-year fellowship that they learn about home hospice. But I wanted to standardize the information that I was given them because there was nothing available. It was just, okay, let me put these things in my notes and remember to tell each person the same thing. So I went ahead and put that together. And the official synopsis is 
you know, it's about doctors liking mnemonics, you know, those memory devices. And so Dr. G's hospice pocket guide, I created a mnemonic out of hospice and the H stands for home visits. O stands for on call. S is signing stuff. P is prognostication. I is IDT, interdisciplinary team. C is CTI, certification of terminal illness. And E is engagement, you know, all the other things that we do. So it was just to help a physician who, as I mentioned, maybe doing their fellowship or those doctors who decide to pivot. I know that I've helped physicians in the past who retired from Optum. I remember there was a physician and he wanted to become a hospice physician. So that introductory information he needs to be ready for work is what's in this book. And my final straw actually for publicizing the book was uh, a doctor reached out to me on LinkedIn. See, I find all these friends on LinkedIn. (laughs) Um, And she said that she wanted to get in a full-time hospice because it was just more rewarding and And so I said, okay. And she asked me to be her mentor, a random person. And so I thought that was so amazing. And so I said, you know, there's probably a lot of other people out there who want to help and they need a framework of what to do. And so I created it. That's amazing. And so awesome just to find people in your network that just reaching out and saying, hey, tell us more about this. And I want to I want to hear about what inspired you to, um, you know, put this together. And how did you get into the space? And how am I going to be a good hospice physician? Um, you know, th- there's no playbook. And now you've got the playbook. You've given them the basics of what they need and what they need to know to go out there. Because as you said, there's books and um, details and guides for everything else. But, you know, when we think about the most important time in someone's life, at the end of life, they need to know that their physician, um, not only also, they got to also factor in all of the regulatory hoops and hurdles um, that you get into um, with CMS, but just a, a guide for providing that care, what they need to know, how and what's involved in all of the components of it. So that that's great that you're able to put all of your working knowledge, because um, I'm sure writing a book is not easy by any means, especially with all that you do in, you know, in, in the day job, and as well as um, your entrepreneurialisms with the Morning Dove Medical. I mean, it, if taking your time, but that just shows how passionate and dedicated you are to equipping the industry with what they need, that it, it's truly inspiring that you're able to pull all this together, articulate it, and share it forward um, so that we're able to take and, and make um, those that are out there um, that are either in it and in the field already and want to be better or those that are new, new medical students and, and say, this is my calling and this is my passion. How do I do it and do it right? That's so amazing to say that and so kind of you. You know, I found that, you know, physicians actually already have these skills. It's just a little shift that needs to happen just to pull them forward. Everyone has done an ICU rotation. Everyone's been a part of a code. So what I do is just kind of expanding that part and making it, you know, normalizing it and filling in those gaps, you know, because as we know, there's a lot of gaps in care, a lot of things we can do to improve end of life care for our seniors. And so, um, I just realized it was just, it just needed a little bit more information there. And and I also want to help the public. You know, it's not just the physicians, it's, it's 
everyday people who need to get information. So I have something up my sleeve for them too. Oh, look forward to hearing more about that as that unfolds. And really, physician accountability, it's so big and so important. I mean, it's what a whole organization stands on that um, from a a compliance perspective, a care delivery, quality, all of those things. And, you know, if you even think about now with um, hospice quality reporting and all of those things that are out there, the documentation of the physician, as well as the overall patient and um, their their family experience as part of it is is so important to um, not only hospice care but but all healthcare delivery. Um, what do you what do you think clinical leaders need to do to help drive more accountability to ward off vulnerabilities when it when it comes to um, driving accountability compliance all of those areas. Well, you know, accountability is about education, in my opinion. And so as clinical leaders, you know, physicians, it's our responsibility to, you know, provide education to our teams, you know, tell them why we we are looking for certain things in their documentation that's being reviewed. You know, oftentimes during our interdisciplinary group, I'll have, you know, the moderator pull up something from Google and review it with a team, you know, the PPS score, the FAST scores, or afterwards, if we're talking about a a disease that we're not familiar with, I I may find a little link to it and send it to the team afterwards. Not that they have to know everything that I know, but just so they have some type of framework and and know what to look for as the patient declines. And, And it's empowering them at the end of the day. Um, as far as the documentation is concerned, you know, it's challenging. And that's why, again, I thought the book was important because as I mentioned in the chapter about CTIs, you know, that important document we write for Medicare. What I said about it in that chapter is it's just a HMP. We write HMPs from med school. We know what to write. It's just a mini version of it with pertinent information about someone who's dying, someone who has a trajectory towards death, in their function, nutrition, and cognition. That's it. And if someone knows it, and if it's broken down, then they can fill it in. And I don't think people, I'm I'm not sure, I don't want to blame anyone, but I'm not sure executives or the people who are asking the physicians to come on are really telling them that. I guess they say, hey, you're a doctor, you should know how to do this. But we had we didn't see CTIs. We we write H and P's. We write a history and physical. We do an assessment and plan. But again, having them understand that the CTI is basically that same thing is something that is kind of was never said. But that's what it is. So true. I mean, it, it's it, as you said earlier. It, it's changing and just making little tweaks. It's stuff you already know, but how do you do it this way? How do you overlay that that hospice lens to it in in meeting the, the expectations and the requirements of what is needed for good, solid documentation um, that supports uh, the patient's prognosis and 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 the care that they need within their end of life. You know, one thing that I, I find absolutely fascinating is that, you know, with um, with hospice, the median length of stay is only 18 days. And, you know, and they say that this number, you know, it hasn't changed, probably hasn't changed in 10 years, maybe more. But, you know, one could argue that the healthcare delivery system has improved so much. You know, when you're thinking, 
technology, interoperability, you know, tools, things like your pocket guide, you know, things that are out there. Um, you know, what, what do you think is the missing link as to why, you know, referrals and um, hospice are happening to hospice sooner? the education around it. I mean, you have so much artificial intelligence and different social determinants of health that are helping to identify these patients um, and their need for hospice. But why do you think it's, what's the missing link that we're not getting to them sooner so that they can, you know, fully feel like they're taking advantage and getting everything as part of the Medicare hospice benefit? You know, that that's multifactorial. And so I'll start with the physicians and our role. And then, you know, it, it's also our societal role. So I think everyone, like, like I mentioned previously in our conversations, uh, death and dying is, is taboo in our society. So that includes anyone who lives here. Of course, we have a diverse society. There's some cultures who welcome you know, the end of life more. But as a whole in our society, our American society, um, we don't really like to deal with that until we have to deal with that. So that's why we have these initiatives like National Healthcare Decisions Day, you know, where people can, you know, take matters into their own hands. That's why we try to have an advanced directive. But but I see the missing link as well. It's, you know, when I get a hospice patient, I don't necessarily receive them from their primary care doctor with their advanced directive, they're coming from hospitalizations and a a series of five or six hospitalizations before they get to me. And there's some improvements we can do there. I think we need to invest more in palliative care. I was actually listening to a lecture from uh, a recent conference with the American College of Physicians and Dr. Meyer was talking about palliative care and how it just improves things for people. Just It's just phenomenal. But there's a special skill that we have, just like a surgeon has their scalpel um, and the other, you know, like a nephrologist has dialysis. We have our communication skills and we have difficult conversations, but we need to spread that work around. Other physicians need to have those conversations. There needs to be primary palliative care. There needs to be a baseline understanding of the trajectory of the disease. You know, for example, people know what to expect when they hear the C word, cancer, right? They get that diagnosis and they're going through their workup. We know people who've gone through it. They're they're having anxiety while they're being staged. It may not be anything serious, but it's a scare because they know what's going to happen. Well, how about what to expect as we have worsening chronic kidney disease? heart failure, COPD, liver cirrhosis, AIDS, Parkinson's, diabetes, hypertension, ALS. Those are a lot of the common diagnoses in hospice, but people don't seem like they're not prepared for that. And they've never had the conversation until they get to us. So I say, you know, at diagnosis, people should have a just an understanding of where it's going and when is the best time to switch to comfort care. And comfort care doesn't mean that we just let you sit there and we don't address basic things like infections and wound care and things of that nature. I believe hospice care is very like intense. It's intense care in the home, but people don't know that. They think it's for the last two days of life or that's when it's over, but it's not. Um, People need to 
get on board with the care and, and enjoy the benefit that they could have. And it will reduce stress in their family if they did. You started off with hitting the nail on the head, I feel like, of the, the patients, they, they're they in the hospital so many times. And if you think of how um, strenuous that is on the, the care delivery system, as well as how costly it is, that if there was clear communication and uh, setting expectations and understanding on that disease trajectory and what to expect and what does it mean, that's really, you know, where, where I think we, we, we start with um, breaking the cycle, you know, and, and helping everyone understand what is it, uh, what is hospice care, how does it benefit you, and, you know, really then gets um, into debunking some of these misconceptions that are out there. And I mean, and you hear it firsthand, um, you know, just in your day to day of nobody wants to talk about death or dying and, uh, and they have that negative association and connotation. Um, so what's, what would you say is the best advice that you give when having those types of conversations of sim- how, how do you simplify the message and help them understand uh, whether it be, you know, just a conversation, tools, resources, I create my own I created my own definition of hospice. I tell them this is healthcare brought to your home. This is healthcare. You know, sometimes when you see announcements like Jimmy Carter, you know, everyone knows about Jimmy Carter actually. We love that. Don't we love how he's been on hospice for so long? He's actually as his last act debunking the myth about hospice. And so um just I tell them this is healthcare. It's not someone decided to not get any medical interventions and they chose hospice. That, that's not what it is. You have super medical interventions. When you come onto hospice care or even palliative care, you have an interdisciplinary team and that team consists of a doctor, your own doctor and your own primary care doctor can even follow along. You have a, a RN case manager that is there for you that visits you in your home and they're like the quarterback of the team. You have a home health aide if you choose to. You have a chaplain if you choose to. You have a social worker. I don't know any place else in healthcare where you get that intense attention for one person and their family. Um, and that's what it is. People don't know that, though. And, and that's really the model we need for all of healthcare. We need that full continuum team and everybody talking um, and and collaborating on what's going on and what's needed and how are they progressing or how are they failing. And that is what we need in in society of that full continuum of care connection to then identify, identify these things and identify when the patient is needed for the right service. So they're getting the right care at the right time to help them and support them and their families. And right then, that's the whole shift to then high quality care, value-based models, all of those things out there and what really the future of healthcare looks like. Absolutely. You know, I, I had... Uh, heard of a patient recently, you know, a daughter said, oh, you know, my mom has been in and out of the hospital every month for a urinary tract infection. And I'm thinking, that doesn't make sense. You know, she needed some type of care before coming to hospice that would have kept her out of the hospital. It's just a UTI. 
that's very basic, you know, and that's something we can treat, but it makes her vulnerable. Um, whenever a senior is in the hospital, we know they lose their functionality. And, you know, it, uh, referring to the lecture I mentioned earlier, that's the one thing that seniors want to maintain their independence and functionality. But every time they're placed in the hospital, they lose some. And um, we need to do our best to preserve it. So very true. So very true. And and that, it, based on this alone and, and talking with you today, we're going to bring more, more awareness to the listeners, um, to the general public that they, you know, pass along everything that they're hearing and as well as, you know, embracing what is hospice and what is hospice care. So Dr. G, thank you for joining me today. I truly just love the conversation, your passion and dedication to not only hospice physicians, but the entire industry is truly admirable and inspiring. So thank you for all you do. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us today. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode of the McBee Care Threads podcast. Thank you for having me. At McBee, we understand the challenges providers face across the healthcare landscape. For more than 45 years, we've been a part of the evolution of the healthcare industry. Our strategic advisory solutions span the home health, hospice, health system, and senior living care continuums, creating improved clinical, financial, and operational outcomes. Our expertise is guaranteed. Our solutions empower. Visit us today at mcbeeassociates.com. Thank you for listening to McBee Care Threads. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. For more information on the topics discussed today, visit our website at mcbeeassociates.com. Until next time.